Thanks for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at theexchangechurchhouston.com. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. In this message, you'll be encouraged and challenged as you see that the only way to stop the hurt is to turn it over to God. So this morning, we're going to start a new series. And uh, I was visiting a couple weeks ago with um, a family, and they were kind of sharing some of the things that they've been through in the hurts. And it seems like lately, there's just people going through life. I know that's odd, but people are going through life, and uh, life sometimes hurts, amen? Uh, The title of my message this morning is Life Hurts. Today, I want to talk about five emotional realities, and uh, these things are are true for all of us. Uh, It's just the way it is. It's just the way life is, and the first one is the title of my message, Life Hurts. Can I get a witness say amen? Life hurts. I mean, that's just the way it is sometimes. God never promised us a life without pain, but he did promise us when we go through pain, he's going to be there. He's going to help us out of that pain. He's going to help heal our pain. He's going to help us out of those circumstances when we fix our eyes on Jesus, but he never promised us that there would not be disappointments. And and sometimes we put ourselves in in places of hurt by our own failures, our own sins, or, or maybe an untimely death, a tragic loss. Uh, maybe through abuses or, or betrayals, but we, we find ourselves in, in hurt, and I've learned that the older you get, the more you hurt. I'm not just talking about physically. That also is true, very true, and I know I got some witnesses in here for that, but I woke up, I wake up all the time, and I'm like, what did I do yesterday to make me hurt so bad? And I didn't do anything. I just, it just happens. And, uh, but emotionally, we get older, and the older we get, sometimes life just hurts. The second emotional reality is that unless we deal with pain properly, when it occurs, it accumulates in our lives, okay? It builds up. Now, it's one of the reasons I'm calling this series, When Blank Happens. You fill in that blank. When blank happens, it just happens. Life happens, and, and there's a place in our heart when we don't deal with pain properly, you drop it into what we're going to call the hurt locker, okay? So when you don't address pain properly, you, we think we've moved on, but what we've really done is we've just dropped it into the hurt locker. And there are two unfortunate realities of life when we do that. First is that there's very few of us that actually know how to deal with pain, uh, even growing up, even as adults, we, most of us really don't know how to handle pain. We don't know how to deal with pain properly. Now, if you've had godly parents, Christian parents, and I'm very fortunate that I grew up in a place when, if you grew up with good, strong uh, Christian parents, a lot of them maybe helped pastor you and guide you through hurts as a child. But here's a, a truth that a lot of us, even in great Christian homes, our parents really didn't know how to guide us 
through pain, through hurt properly. And so we just kind of muddle our way through. Uh, we kind of navigate ourselves through pain and hurt. And we never really deal with it properly. And we find out that we've still just carried this over and over and over. And we, we've learned to hide it. We've learned to deny it. We've learned to just push our problems down and hope that it, it doesn't show up again. The second unfortunate reality is that time doesn't heal anything. Okay, now I know, and, and people, you could argue this all day long. We have that old saying that uh, time heals all wounds. That's hogwash. Y'all even know what hogwash is? That's a word that I said that, that most people don't even, you know, you got to be from West Texas and understand hogwash, all right? Uh, but that's hogwash, you know? Time doesn't heal all wounds. What time does? The time takes you out of a situation. Time lets you um, see it from another perspective. Time lets you reevaluate, but time doesn't necessarily heal all wounds. Now, if you cut yourself, immediately your body goes to work healing that wound, okay? Your body naturally starts healing that wound, and time will heal that hurt. But emotional hurts, emotional pains will only be healed in the presence of God. Okay? Time doesn't heal those things. You can have gone through a very traumatic time in your life 20 years ago. Something traumatic happened, and when it's brought up, or when a name is mentioned, or a song is by something happens, it takes you back to that moment 20 years later, and it feels just as real now as it did 20 years ago. Why? Because time doesn't heal all wounds. There are some things that have to be brought into the presence of God. Back to the emotional realities. The third emotional reality is this, accumulated pain and unresolved problems compromise our mental, emotional, spiritual, and relational health. As things accumulate in our lives, they begin to compromise us. And so what we do is we think that we've deal, dealt with those things, and we've pushed them down, and we've actually put them in, in the hurt locker. And then we build up these things in the hurt locker and it builds up. And, and as those things accumulate and they build up in our lives, we find ourselves very vulnerable. It begins to compromise us mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And that's one of the reasons that it's important. We're going to hit that today and, and throughout this series. That's why it's so important that we learn to empty the hurt locker. Uh, I know some of you know him. Not all of you have uh, met him You'll get a chance at the first of the year, I'm sure. But Nathan Blouse, one of the things that he does when he comes in is he takes us through this rapid mind renewal, this journey where, where things like this, we, we begin to empty the hurt lockers uh, that we've built up. And some of us don't even realize we've done it. Some of us have locker rooms, okay? Some of us have hurt lockers, and then others of us have hurt locker rooms. And we've just built up hurt and, and Honestly, when you take a step back and you evaluate yourself, you wonder how you've even made it because you're just hurting. The fourth emotional reality of life is that we all deal with pain in some way, right or wrong, okay? We all deal with pain. There's no way around it. You can't not deal with pain. So we're going to kind of break this down for just a moment. You're going to look back in the Bible with me, and we're going to talk about King David, Okay, King David got hurt many times. He, he was hurt many times, 
And uh, he was good at a lot of things, but one thing King David was not good at is dealing with pain, okay? He was not good at dealing with hurt. And so we're going to look at King David, and we're going to look at a couple of his, his boys. He had a lot of sons, um, but there's two sons in particular that we're going to draw attention to today. And one is Solomon, and one is Absalom. And all three, David, Solomon, and Absalom, they all dealt with hurt. They all dealt with pain, but they all three dealt with it in very different ways. So we're going to talk about these three ways that, and, and, and you, most of you, you're going to relate to one of them, probably not as extreme uh, as a, of a case, but these are perfect case studies for how we deal with pain. And as, as you're studying this, as I'm studying this, I'm going, wow, I'm David. Oh, no, no, I'm Solomon. Oh, and I'm Absalom. I deal, all three of them just hit me right between the eyes. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that. The first way that people deal with pain is the way David did. And David medicated his pain. One of the ways that a lot of people do it, not everybody does it, but they medicate their pain. They, uh, whether it's sex, food, alcohol, gambling, drugs, shopping, all of these are ways that people can medicate their pain. They can use this to deal with their pain, to address their pain. And what it does is, in their mind, it alleviates the pain. It disappears for a time and, and as, they're, as they're fulfilling these, these urges. Whatever it is they're medicating their minds and their bodies with, it's fulfilling this, this process of healing the pain in their minds. And then when it's all said and done, that pain comes right back. And so what they have to do is they have to remedicate. And then they stop medicating, and the pain comes right back. And they have to remedicate. And they do that with, with sex and alcohol and drugs and, and all kinds of things, and shopping and food. Those are all real things that people really medicate pain in their lives with. And David was, was the same way. David had a sex problem. He had a lust problem, okay? He had many wives, but uh, we know at one point that he's standing on his rooftop. The Bible says when the kings were off to battle, where he was supposed to not even be where he was supposed to be, there's a whole other message in that. But he was somewhere where he wasn't supposed to be, and he, he glances and he catches a woman bathing named Bathsheba, and, and he has the men bring her into him. She comes into him, and, and he, he has sex with her. He gets her pregnant. Uh-oh, what do I do? So he comes up with this plan to, to kind of push her husband, who's out in the middle of battle, doing what David's supposed to be doing. There's a message in that, too. And so he, he kind of has him pushed out in the battle, has him ultimately killed. And then he takes Bathsheba as his wife, and, uh, and he covers up this murder. David had issues. And he's covering up the pain. He's medicating his pain. So what was David's pain? I'm glad you asked. That's a great question. Remember Samuel. God tells Samuel, he says, I want you to go and you're going to go to Jesse's house. And you're going to anoint a king. You're going to anoint the next king. Now Samuel goes to Jesse's house. He's not sure what he's doing. He's not sure what he's looking for. He goes to Jesse's house, and he tells Jesse he needs to see his boys. And so Jesse has eight sons, and David is the eighth son. And Jesse brings seven sons in front of Saul, uh, Samuel. He brings the good-looking one, and it wasn't him. He brings the strong one, the one that's ripped up. He was in the, in the barn pumping, you know, cows or whatever. I don't know what they lived back in the day, but he's curling, you know, calves and... and uh, so 
he brings in the strong one. He brings in the smart one. You know, he's got a pocket protector and, and uh, a little notebook, and he just comes in. He, he brings the oldest one. You know, he's already graying. Uh, and so he brings in all these sons, and, and Samuel looks at them, and, and he, he hears God say, no, 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 no. And that's it. They're all gone. And then Samuel's looking around, he looks at Jesse, and he says, is this it? This is all? And, and Jesse's response is this. Oh, I'm, I mean, there's David, right? Would that not bother anybody else? Uh, oh, I, oh, all my son. Oh, yeah, I have one more. But, I mean, I left him out with the sheep. I mean, you really want me to bring him? Are you being serious? That's his response. And I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but that's, that's ultimately what happened. Oh, so you need all my, you want the youngest, the little one who's, who's not good at anything yet. I mean, he hadn't, he hadn't even hit puberty. You know, every night he checks his armpit for hair. He's just not there. And you want me to bring in that kid? And, and this, is, this is Samuel and Jesse's response. This is Jesse's response. Is, and, and don't you think that David had hurt by that? Don't you think that David, grow, maybe he wasn't as close to Jesse. Maybe he didn't have this father time that, that a lot of parents and, and sons have, a lot of dads have. So there's this hurt that, that, that he wasn't expected to be anything, really. And so David has this pain in his life, and he's medicating this pain. And, he's, and, and medication is all about addictive behavior, okay? Uh, whether it's... Uh, drugs or alcohol or sex or food, medication is ultimately addictive behavior. But you got to understand that the issue is never really the issue. Okay? So for, for alcoholics, alcohol is not really the issue. Okay? It ultimately becomes the issue, but that's not what got The issue tends to be the hurt in our lives. That's why if you know anything about AA, if you go and you look at AA and they have this 12-step program, the first step is to fess up. The first step is start to talk about the things you don't want to talk about. Why? Because there's something deeper that's pushed us to this moment that's caused this addiction that's made us medicate ourselves. And so the first step in recovering from alcohol is to start talking about the things you don't want to talk about. Every time there's, there's pain in our life, the devil puts fear and shame around us, and he wants us to not talk about it. And so we begin to hold the, those things in. And that's why in AA, they want to get it, get it out in the open. They want you to talk about it. Well, it hurts too much to talk about. It's, it's difficult. It's, it's hard. And, but that's the point, and that's one of the steps to healing is getting it out. The devil's greatest interest in our lives is keeping pain there by putting shame and fear or even secrecy around it, okay? Doesn't want us to talk about it. Uh, in, in fact, secrecy is the hallmark of dysfunction in dysfunctional families, okay? When you keep things, a, you, you want to know what a functional family is? A functional family talks. A functional family gets things out in the open. A functional family discusses things, even tough things, even hard things, things that you don't want to talk about. But what the devil does is he wants to keep those things secret. He wants to hide those things because if he can hide those things, then he can hide that pain. And then we begin, a lot of times we find ourselves medicating that pain. Or you could be like Solomon. Solomon motivated his pain. So David medicated it. Solomon motivated his pain. He was a workaholic. You don't have to admit it. 
But some of you, you're probably nudging somebody or you know somebody who's a workaholic. They just go, 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 go. And that was Solomon. Solomon was an overachiever. He built the greatest nation in the history of the world. In fact, we know one of the facts that we know about him is that he was so rich that he had so much gold that silver had no value at all. That's rich. When you've got so much gold and you, you're so wealthy that silver, you take away the value of silver. That's King Solomon. Solomon was so wealthy and he built and he built and he built and he did and he worked and he built up all this stuff because he was an overachiever. So what was Solomon's pain that he was covering? I'm glad you asked. You guys are on it with the questions today. First of all, he was the son of David and Bathsheba. His father killed his mother's husband. Solomon was ultimately born out of a scandalous kind of relationship. Not to mention, he had his brother killed so that he could secure the kingdom Okay, his brother came up with this whole plan to, to steal the kingdom away from Solomon and Adjaniah, uh, and, and Solomon had him killed. And then he watched his brother Absalom later on try to kill his own father, David, to steal his kingdom. So you want to know what kind of pain Solomon had? He kind of came from a messed up family. And he was the king's family. And it was kind of jacked up. It was a family of pain, and so Solomon built, and he built, and he built, and it, it wasn't healthy. And this is what Solomon says about that in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 9. He says, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasures. My heart took delight in all my work. I'm an overachiever. I looked at everything that I built and it made me happy for a season. And this was the reward of my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So I worked and I worked and I worked and I built and I built and I built and I did and I succeeded and I made life as grand and as great as possible. But when I stepped back and I looked at it, nothing satisfied me. It was all meaningless. It was for nothing. I motivated my pain into do and to do and to do and to do and to stay busy. But when I look back, it was for nothing. Sometimes that's what we do. We motivate our pain. We, we turn on the radio. We turn on the TV. We go to work, and we work and work and work, and we go into the garage, and we go into the backyard, and we work and we work, and we stay so busy because as long as we're busy, the ghosts stay away. And we stay busy, and then the ghost stays away. And as long as the ghost stays away, then he's not talking to us about the pain that we're trying to drown out and cover up. And so we just keep motivated, and we keep motivating things, and then we don't have to deal with pain. And this is where Solomon was. Man, that's exactly the, the way I used to really deal with, and, and still it's the way I deal with pain a lot. When, when I went through some of the di most difficult times in my life, what I did to deal with pain was I volunteered and signed up for everything. You need, you need help? 
Yeah, but it's overnight. That's fine. I could do it. I mean, in the middle of my pain, I was guarding shacks all night, 24 hours. Uh, I would work. I would clean. I would do anything you need me to do. You you wouldn't need somebody on Saturday. I could work Saturdays. I could work Sundays. Whatever you want to do. Because the way I dealt with pain was just stay really, 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 really busy. And as long as I was really, really, really busy, I didn't have to think about all the crap I was going through. But when I stopped being busy and I sat still for a little while, those ghosts would show up and they'd start talking to me and they'd start reminding me how miserable my life was and how everything was falling apart. And it was when I was not motivated that I found myself suicidal. I found myself depressed. I found myself angry. So what did I do? I had to motivate my pain. I had to get busy again. And I got busy and I got busy. What I was doing, I was shoving that pain into the hurt locker. So I wasn't really dealing with it. I was shoving it into the hurt locker and I was just staying busy. Stay busy, stay busy. Because when I was busy, I could still smile because I was thinking about the task at hand. You know? A lot of us do that. A lot of us deal with pain that way. We stay busy and... We don't want to give it to God because ultimately we know that God will heal it. But when we give it to God, we know we have to talk about it. And that's hard to do, you know. Some of us, we, have a, we get saved and we have a relationship with God, but we don't like prayer. Because when, when we pray, when you have a quiet time, you know that God's going to want to address the situation. So in your quiet time, you know that God's going to want to deal with your bitterness and your anger and all that stuff. And you know it's going to have to come out. You don't want to deal with it. Some, there's people who love Jesus and hate quiet time. <laughs> I love Jesus and I just don't want to talk to him because I don't want to deal with my stuff. And so we just hide it and we bury it and we bury it and we put it in a hurt locker. That's what's going on. But the crazy thing is that hiding from God, you're hiding from your healer. You know? The, the one person that can actually take all this away, we're avoiding him because we don't really want to talk about it. Because we don't want it to keep hurting. And all we want to do is get the pain to go away. So whether you medicate it or you motivate it, you just want the pain to go away. Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble. And you will find rest in me. Jesus is not going to push and poke and, and hurt your pain. He's gentle. And he says, look, if, you, if you're going through something, just come to me. He's, he's talking to a devastated nation in this point right here. And, and a lot of times, the, our worst nightmare is that people are going to deal with our pain and they're going to start poking at it. And then we're afraid to get into the presence of God because we're afraid he's going to bring it up and address it. And when he addresses it, he's going to poke at it and it's going to hurt and we don't want to face that hurt. The, uh, the Bible also says that a bruised reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish until he leads justice to victory. My point is this. He is gentle. That pain that we're so desperately trying to hide, even from the healer. He's so gentle with it. He's so loving and caring. And he's going to take that hurt and he's not going to poke it. He's not going to exploit it. He's not going to dangle it out in front of you. He's going to take it and he's going to hold it. 
and he's going to protect it, and he's going to ultimately heal that pain that we've just held on to, and we can't let go. So many people motivate their pain. Some people medicate their pain like David, or you're like Absalom, and you meditate your pain. Absalom meditated his pain. Mm, I've meditated my pain too. That's not a good way to handle pain. So what was Absalom's pain? Man, I'm glad you asked. Absalom was a mess. Absalom's half-brother was Amnon. His sister was Tamar. And Amnon raped Tamar. And his dad, David, did nothing about it. Said nothing about it. Didn't even address it. Just let it go. Hmm. Absalom didn't like that. He meditated on it. He dwelt on it. He thought about it. He sulked. Two years go by. He can't handle it anymore. So he goes and he kills Amnon. He just can't deal with it. He kills Amnon and then he takes off. He, he doesn't understand why David hadn't even addressed the situation. He's so hurt and confused. He's been sulking, meditating. So he kills Amnon and then he takes off. And the Bible says years later, years have gone by and David brings Absalom back. And you know what he does? Nothing. He never talks to him about it. He never addresses this situation. So that makes Absalom even more angry. So Absalom is now meditating on this hurt, this anger. And he's just been sulking. He's been holding it in. He's not staying motivated. He's not medicating it. He's meditating. And he's getting more angry and more angry and more angry. And every time he brings it up and thinks about it, he is just furious. Have you ever been in that situation? Come on, have you ever just, I mean, right now, there are things that I could point and I could call out in your life, and I'm not saying I know what they are, but you immediately would be mad at me. Some of you, I could call out things in your life, and you would walk out. You wouldn't come back. Because there are things in some of our lives that we have just meditated on. And we, as Christians, have dealt with it. I've dealt with it already. We've tucked it into the hurt locker is what we've done. And we forget about it for a little while. And then a car drives by that reminds us of their car. We're like, oh, I'd blow that car up just in case it was them. Right? You were laughing right now, but some of you are like, he's reading my mind. He is calling me out. Because we do that. And, and you, we can act holier than thou. But I'm telling you, I've, I've done that. And, and we think that we've dealt with it. We've tucked it into the hurt locker. But really, we've meditated on it. And that's why every time it comes back up, we, we're even more angry. We're even more violent and more enraged. And then we start making excuses like, well, I'm not so much mad at them. I'm mad at the situation or I'm mad that I let it happen. And we, we twist it and turn it all different kinds of way. But the point is, is we've just meditated and meditated and meditated and meditate on it. And it has gotten us in a mess. People who get hurt and then they get mad, they meditate it and they become cynical and they become bitter and they become hateful and they become angry people. We all have to make a choice to deal with it, good or bad. And these are the three main ways that we deal with pain. We're like David, like Solomon, or like Absalom. 
We all deal with pain in those ways. See, listen, and they all hurt people. If you, if you don't deal with pain, you're not only trapping that pain inside of you, but what you're doing is you're putting dysfunction inside your family. Okay? You can say, well, it's my problem. No, it's not. If you have a family, it's their problem. Ooh. Because your pain is their pain. Well, they don't even know about it. It doesn't matter. It ripples through everything you do, everything you say, your responses to what you want for dinner. Ripple echoes of that pain in your life. Have you ever, have you ever went off on somebody and they're like, what was that about? And you're like, I don't even know. It's your hurt lockers open and I'm smelling dirty socks. I just made that up. That wasn't even in my nose. I just made that up. But do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm touching the nerve here because I'm telling you, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself. I've done this. I've, I've done all three of these. I am like the master at meditating, medicating, and motivating my pain because I've done that. Because we all go through pain because life hurts. That's a fact. But it's how we deal with it. And, and so if we don't deal with it properly, it starts to ripple effect through our families. Medicators cause pain because of their addictions. Motivators cause pain because of their avoidance. Meditators cause pain because of their attacks. Okay? So whichever one of the three that you are or may have been or could possibly be, you're causing pain to someone, some way, all the time. All the time. We're dealing with that kind of pain. The fifth emotional reality. The only way to stop the hurt and totally resolve it is to what? Give it over to God. That's the only way to deal with it. See, we can say time heals all wounds. Stop saying that in the church as Christians when you're talking about emotional pain. Time doesn't always heal the wounds. Jesus heals all the wounds. Time just gets you more angry later on when it comes back up. Go empty the hurt locker. That's what we've got to do. Empty the hurt locker. Matthew 5 Four, verse 4 says this. This is one of the messages Jesus is preaching. It's part of the Beatitudes. Jesus says this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, Jesus is always right, right? But I'm going to say he's wrong for a moment. And then I'm going to come back and say he's right because he's ultimately always right. But let me just explain why. If you just take that verse and you read that simple verse... You would say, well, then everybody who mourns is blessed. Everybody who's blessed has, or everybody who goes through this time of mourning is blessed. And that's not true. That's not true. There are people who mourn that are not blessed. There are people who are in anguish that they're not blessed and they're not comforted. And so a simple read of the scripture, you think that people are blessed because they're in mourning. That's not exactly correct. So let me give you a paraphrase, explanation of what this verse is saying, okay? I'm going to break it down for you. Blessed are those who turn their pain towards God, for their pain will be validated, understood, and it will be healed, okay? So if you just read that verse and you say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What it's saying is if you turn your pain to Jesus, If you give your pain to God, he will validate, he will heal, he will comfort you, he can restore, he can take the scars that you think will never, ever disappear, and he will remove even the scars. 
all the reminders of the hurt and the pain that we've gone through, Jesus can heal that. Jesus is talking to a devastated nation. Okay, when he says this, he's talking to a devastated nation. He's telling them, bring your cares, bring your problems and your hurt to me, and I promise I will heal it. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who bring their issues to me because I'm ultimately the healer. It's not like our body, okay? Our body just immediately goes into healing itself. It's not going to to go away if we don't talk about it. It's not going to go away if we just deny that it's there. It's still there, and it's still accumulating, and it's still building, and and some of our lockers are bulging. I mean, we barely got them shut, and and we know that if we tried to shove one more thing in there, boom, it's just going to all explode on us. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who bring their pain to God, because I will comfort you. Now, there's some emotional requirements that have to take place for, for healing, okay? So I'm going to hit these three emotional requirements, and I'm going to close out this morning. The first emotion, emotional requirement for healing is this, honesty before God. Lord, I open my heart to you. I trust you with my issues, and we have to be honest before God, and we have to give it to God. Listen, there is nothing that you have done that will make God reject you, regardless of whether you did it yourself or whether somebody did it to you. Hear me. God is not your problem. God is your solution, okay? He's not looking for a reason to reject you. He's already found a reason to receive you, and that was through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus came, and the Bible says, through Jesus, you've been made perfect, so he's found a reason to receive you, not to reject you, and and since he's able to receive you, you can walk boldly into the throne of God, and you can give your, your hurts and your heartaches and your pain to Jesus, and he's the great physician, and he heals that pain, and he heals that hurt. The second requirement is a responsibility to God. I take responsibility for my behavior. I have to take responsibility for my behavior. You have to take responsibility for your behavior. Amen? Amen. People may have done things to me, but life doesn't form me. My response to life forms me. Okay? Your life doesn't form you, but it's your response to life that does form you. It will make you somebody. No telling who it will make you, but it will make you somebody. My parents did this to me. My family did this to me. My friends did this to me. Whoever or whatever it may be, you have to understand that you can overcome it. You are not a victim. You're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, you can do all things. Do you believe that? You have to believe that. You have to understand that, and you have to live that. I'm not a victim. Man, I... Here's one of my pet peeves, okay? It's one of my pet peeves, and it's not necessarily a good one, but I don't handle victims well. I am okay with real victims, but I don't handle victim mentality, okay? People who everything that happens, it's somebody's out to get them, somebody's out to hurt them, everything, they're just the victim all the time. I just can't, I, I don't have a lot of patience with those people. I try, I try, I remind myself, you're Pastor Jared, you're supposed to have patience with them, and then they start acting like the victim all the time, and I'm like, oh, I just want to slap you. Because you have to take responsibility for yourself and understand that I'm not a victim, I am an overcomer, I'm more than a conqueror, I am a disciple of Jesus. 
I have power. I have boldness. And I can do anything because he's given me that power and that authority. Man, we just want to play the blame game. We just want to blame it. And, and the blame game goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? Okay? Adam and Eve, they screw up. They eat the apple. God shows up, and he's like, what happened? And, and, Eve's, and, and Adam's like, it wasn't me. He starts singing, it wasn't me. Okay? And then he starts pointing at the woman. It's the woman. Eve's like, it wasn't me. The, the devil made me do it. They, neither one of them that's taking responsibility. They're just blaming everybody. And that's what we do is we play the blame game. But re, regardless of who did it or why they did it or where it came from, Jesus is the solution. The third requirement is mercy from God for me and for those who've hurt me. <laughs> Forgive yourself. Regret is one of the greatest tools the enemy uses. And he's good at it. He is good at making us live our life with regret. Listen, Jesus died for us on the cross. We don't have to live with regret. I'm forgiven, and whatever I did wrong, now all I can do is learn from it. We're going to make mistakes. You're going to screw up. All you can do now is learn from it. We don't have to live in regret. Your greatest failures, your greatest scars in life can be turned into the greatest glory for God if we allow him to heal it. We don't have to walk through life in regret and pain. I'm going to ask uh, Eddie and the guys to come back up. But I, I want us to think about this for a moment. As I was studying this week with this message, I just, I did a lot of crying. Um, and soul searching, you know. Because I've, I remind myself uh, that I'm... Absalom, that I'm Solomon, that I'm David, that, that there are things that I've meditated on. There are things that I've medicated because of. There are things that I've motivated and I just stay busy. And I have to sometimes examine myself and I have to re-look into my hurt locker all the time. One of the reasons that we bring in the guy that I mentioned earlier, Nathan Blouse, is because our desire is to have a healthy church. As we have a healthy church, we will have a greater capacity for more hurting people. We won't have a great capacity for hurting people if all of our church is hurting. Okay? God's only going to give us who we can deal with, who we can handle. And, and so ultimately, we need a healthy church so that we can have a, a church full of hurting people. We want a church full of hurting people. That's our goal, okay? We, I don't want a church full of healthy people because then we're losing the battle and we're not doing what we're supposed to do. Then we just need to give the church to somebody else because that's not the church I want to have. I want to have a church of a lot of hurting people. I want to have a church that when I would preach this message that they would just be in tears because they know I'm talking to them. Because if we have a hurting church, then we know that we're doing the job right. But to have a church full of hurting people, we have to have healthy people. And to have healthy people, we have to address the situation. And the situation is some of us are hurting. And we all have hurt lockers. All of you. All of you. I'm pointing finger at everybody. All of you have hurt lockers. Some of you are probably great at emptying your hurt locker. You've dealt with it. Some of you... You can't even hardly make eye contact with me this morning because you think I'm talking directly to you. 
So I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes for a second. And we're going to do something. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. But if your hurt locker right now has got some junk in it, and you know it, I want you to stand. Just stand right where you are. Don't look around. Just stand. Come on. I'm going to wait for just a minute. Anybody else? If there's things in your life, and, and maybe you've, you've medicated it, maybe you've motivated it, you've stayed busy, and maybe in your mind, it's not even a real issue. It's not even a big issue. It's not even that important because, you know, you've kind of forgot about it. Nevertheless, it's in your locker and it's tucked away. And it's still there. And it's still going to cause pain and hurt and scars. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me now. Just close your eyes and we're all going to pray. And I'm, I'm, I'm focusing, I'm really praying specifically for those that, that stood and, and that said, hey, I've got this hurt, I've got this pain that I'm dealing with, and it's not going away. And, and listen, if you stood up, hear me, hear me very carefully. Don't feel shame. Don't feel regret. Don't go, man. I just hope he's not judging or jumping. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what anybody in this room thinks. Let me tell you something. Your hurt locker just needs to be cleaned out. And, and, and I'm standing with you already. I was the first person to stand. I'm responding to my own altar call because we are human and we deal with pains and we have hurts. And, and if you're one of those people that nobody's ever hurt you and you don't have any issues, man, I just got to figure out what it is that you're drinking or taking or whatever because I want that because that'd be awesome to go through life with no pain and no hurt. But it's not really realistic. Father, I pray right now over these needs, Jesus. God, I pray that, that we go right now into the locker room uh, in our spirits and in our souls, God, that we go into the locker room and we deal with the hurts and the pains and, and the things that have just eaten us up. And for some of us, it's years in the making. It's, it's history is from our childhood. For some of us, it's so recent. The, the, the wounds are still there. But God, I know that all over this room, there are people and there are so, so many great people that that are here, that are dealing with hurts. And I pray right now, God, that as we step into this locker room, this hurt locker room, and, and we begin to address that hurt locker in our lives, in our spirits, I pray that you begin to remove it. God, that you just begin to remove those pains. The only way that we're going to find emotional healing, the only way that we're going to have emotional victories in this situation is to expose it to you, God. God, so right now, spiritually, we're opening our hurt lockers and, and we're giving it to you. And we're saying, here it is, God. Here it is. Here's my hurt. Here, here's the pain. Here's the, the people that hurt me and the, the things that have hurt me. Here's the situations that have hurt me. God, and we're exposing it to you. We're giving it to you and we're making ourselves vulnerable right now. God, and, and by us standing, we're standing saying, God, we can't do it on our own. I can't get, get rid of this on my own, Jesus. God, I'm tired of medicating. I'm tired of motivating. I'm tired of meditating on my pain. 
I can't do this on my own. So this morning, God, I pray all over this room that we give these hurts, these pains to you. God, that we expose them to you, Jesus. God, and when we walk out of this place, the enemy's going to come back into our mind and he's going to tell us it's not gone, that nothing's happened, that nothing's changed. God, but I rebuke the, the liar right now that would come in and tell us that, that we're still carrying this. I rebuke the enemy right now from, from trying to come in and battle our minds. I pray right now, God, that you would, you would clear our conscience, clear our minds. And this hurt, we expose it to you, Jesus. We expose it to you, Jesus. Father, we just ask that healing take place, that healing take place today, that it continues tomorrow, that it continues throughout the week, that, that we come back next Sunday as we continue addressing these types of things. Father, I just pray, God, that your healing process will be complete and manifested in our lives, Father. We thank you for that, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.